you. Thank you, Gary, for those kind words. As, as Gary mentioned, uh, Rick is gone with the teens. Uh, Chris and Travis are gone with the uh, college age in Florida, and uh, the scholarship athletes are out, and the walk-ons in today. So please be patient. A couple of weeks ago, the elders, uh, during a presentation, announced that in the coming weeks that we would begin the process of, of selecting additional elders. So what does an elder look like? Now, I'm not talking about what an elder looks like physically, although I do have an interesting story about that. About this time uh, last year, I was uh, serving as elder of the month, which is actually for a quarter, but we call it elder of the month, so go figure. We haven't figured that one out yet. But I got a call from the office that a gentleman had called in and uh, was moving to this area and wanted to worship here and might have a benevolence need. And when I called him back, he wanted to talk to an elder. I said, okay. So they gave me his number. Now, two things right away told me that this was probably a scam because, number one, he said he was from Texarkana, but the area code was from Northern Virginia. And number two, when I call, I hear voices in the background that sounded like a boiler room. You know, that outgoing call center where they sell, uh, you know, questionable investments. You could hear people in the background talking. But I thought, okay, I'll play along. So I asked him what I could do for him. And he said, you know, the story, he was a um, recent convert. It had been uh, past, you know... Along among family members throughout his life, his parents were tragically killed at an early age in an automobile accident. And he had struggled in his whole life, but he had finally uh, uh, gotten his uh, life together. And he was wanting to come to Fort Smith for a new job and a new start. So I said, well, uh, you know, uh, how can I help you? And, and then he said, well, I've actually been there to West Ark. I visited a few weeks ago when I had my interview and I met one of your elders, and he said, your church would help me however I needed help. I said, oh, who'd you talk to? He said, I don't know. I said, well, what did he look like? He had gray hair. Okay. Was he tall or was he short? Did he have a beard? He had gray hair. And I said, well, if you could tell me, you know, somehow where I could identify who it is, I could talk with him, and maybe we could determine how we could help you, you know, even, even more. And then the conversation went something like this. He said, dude, you're calling me a liar. I said, dude, no, I'm not. I'm just trying to figure out how to help you. And he said, well, going through the church is going to take too much time anyway. If I'm going to catch that bus, I have to have the money. The bus leaves in about three hours. I said, going through the church would take too much time? And he said, yeah, I'm... I'm asking you personally as an elder to help me. I said, you're asking me personally as an elder to help you? Or are you asking me personally to send you money? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, personally, I'm telling you no until I know more about you. And then he launched into a choice words tirade and hung up on me. But his idea of what an elder looked like was he had gray hair probably never been to Fort Smith. He probably never visited West Ark. Probably never even been on our website. But he just knew Elder was someone who had gray hair. You may say, well, Paul gave a list of qualifications and what an uh, elder should be or should uh, uh, 
be like? True. But satisfying a list of requirements or qualifications alone doesn't necessarily make one qualified. For instance, I meet the list of qualifications, and most of you do too, to be president. Because the law says that you must be 35 years old, a natural-born U.S. citizen, and have lived in the U.S. for at least 14 years. But simply satisfying those qualifications doesn't mean you or I would be a good president. Bob Knoll showed this slide a couple of weeks ago. And again, I would say the key word here is perceived. Perceived. We know what the Bible says about the qualifications of elders. But isn't it true that it's human nature to see what we want to see, or sometimes our perception is not correct for a variety of reasons, and sometimes even our our own uh, perception becomes our reality. We have phrases like, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, or can't see the forest for the trees, or perception is reality. All these phrases indicate that human beings see things differently and perceive things differently. To illustrate what I mean, I'm going to call on that great 20th century scholar and scientist and doctor and all-around great-life philosopher, Granny Clampett, of the Beverly Hillbillies. In this episode, some zoo animals had escaped from the local zoo. And some of those animals had made their way to the Clampett Mansion. Now, you and I know factually and scientifically that's a hippopotamus. But what Granny saw was a big hog. Had it all broken out into spare ribs and pork chops and ham. It's a hippopotamus, but in her eyes, it's a hog. Now, returning to Bob's slide, some see elders as a board of directors. I know I did, growing up in the small country church that I grew up in. One quick story about that. We, in this area, I don't know what it was uh, north of Judsonia of Arkansas. I don't know what uh, there was in the water or whatever. But we had great musical talent some of the individuals around there. In fact, some of them actually had left and gone to Nashville and played in some of the acts there and some of the bands there. They had great musical talent, but they weren't musical scholars. They didn't know music theory. They didn't... They were just country boys. Some of them had learned how to lead singing. And one morning, one of these guys led singing. Great voice. Logger by trade. And when he got to the song to help prepare our mind for the Lord's Supper, he led, Break Thou the Bread of Life. And when it came time for the preaching, the old-time minister called him out on it. He said, wait a minute, that song's not about communion. It's about reading the Word of God. It's about opening the Word of God. You can't lead that song before communion. Now, I was a young teenager at the time, and I'll admit I never really knew there was a prescribed song that you had to sing before communion. In fact, with that song, all I ever wondered was, what did all fetters fall mean? Didn't know what it was, but I thought I probably didn't want to get hit by one when they did fall. Didn't know what they were. But then everybody looked to the elders. You know, the elders, they always met in that secret room off of the baptistry. Never really heard from them. They'd been elders for 30 or 40 years, the three of them. 
And so I was wondering, now, this can't be good. Wondering where this was going to go. I was, I was preparing for the dreaded elder statement. But I was proud of them. All they said is they knew of no scriptural requirement regarding songs or about what songs to be sung when. So we appreciate all of you who lead singing and ask that you continue to do the good work. Some elders see, or some see elders as out of touch, men who don't get it. Some see elders as men who do get it and support them. Some see elders with painful memories of the past experiences, bad experiences with elders or elderships. And let me just say, if that's been your experience, and you have been uh, experienced a painful, hurtful, scarring relationship with elders, let me just say, I'm sorry for that. And we'll do everything in our power here at West Ark to make sure that's not your experience here. This is another Bob slide. If you'll notice a pattern, I'm stealing all of Bob's slides. This slide points out one of the things that we try to do, one of the responsibilities that we do, is try to provide food for spiritual growth and teach members how to teach others and be participants, not observers. But backing up to this slide, too often we're seen as problem solvers, our facility maintenance people. Remember, a few years ago, I was walking through the auditorium here, and a sweet sister pulled me aside, and she said, it's always so cold in here. How can I worship God when I'm shivering all the time? It's too cold in here. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll pass your uh, concern on to those who control the thermostat. I walked no more than 20 feet, and another sister pulled me aside, and she said, why is it so warm in here? It is always so warm in here. I have asthma, and I can't breathe, and how can I be expected to worship when it's too warm to worship? What do you do? We understand that you have concerns about comfort and discomfort, and we understand that those may be a big deal and need attention. But understand sometimes that even though we try to write it to the, route it to the right individual, sometimes the truthful answer is we don't know. We'll have to find out. We don't know what the answer is right now. I've even been asked by out-of-town family members to go talk to their father, their aging father. He shouldn't be allowed to drive anymore, and would I go ask him to give up his keys and quit driving? He wouldn't listen to them. He might listen to an elder. I was asked by another family to talk to their mother. She was... She was a, nagging her, their father too much about watching too much TV and is making his life miserable. Would I go talk to him? Well, understand that those are perceived responsibilities of elders. But this is the biggest one. Dressing the wounds. Now hear me on this. Being an elder is a blessing. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. And it's something I'm delighted to do. I love being an elder. And as we begin the process of selecting additional elders, if you're qualified and someone asks you, my advice to you is to say yes. You will be blessed in doing so. But in all honesty, this is the most prevalent and the most difficult task for an elder. It can wear you down emotionally. It can wear you down 
mentally and sometimes physically, and probably the reason why so many elders burn out. Why is that, you say? Well, it's because we hurt when you hurt. When you're in pain, we're in pain. When you grieve, we grieve. The thing we call life is hard and messy and heart-wrenching at times. Multiply that several times over in a church family, and it can wear on you. Let me illustrate it this way. Several years ago, husband and wife, she uh, became very ill. And he very diligently and very uh, lovingly took care of her. And we reached out to, to him dozens of times, asking to visit, calling, sending cards, asking to visit and pray with him. A couple of elders even went by to see him one time. And he's always told, no, I'm okay, no, I'm okay. And the elders that went by to see him, he graciously received, him, received them at the door, but wouldn't let them in for a visit. As it turned out, while he was caring for his wife, he was very ill himself. And a few months later, he had, after neglecting his own health to take care of his wife, he was facing the same fate that his wife had, had uh, faced a few months before. So I went over to the hospital, and the family was assembled, uh, saying their goodbyes. And as I was leaving, the Son from out of, uh, of, out of this area came and walked with me to the, uh, to the elevator. And he had tears in his eyes, and he said, What hurts me even more is this how you guys have abandoned my parents. No one ever called or visited or checked on them. I tried to explain the reality of the situation, but I don't think he heard me because of the state that he was in. And even though his understanding was not correct, to see a grieving son's sorrow multiplied because of perceived inaction of the elders, that will wear on you. That's tough to take. And you do wonder, could I have done more? Now let me also say this. I can assure you that these men that I serve with as elders are as fine as they come. They're tough, they're resilient, but they're kind and compassionate. And we're honored to serve as your elders. We love every one of you. And we, I assure you, we will abandon no one. I know that sometimes the popular idea is, you know, what are the elders doing? I can't see that they're doing anything. Why aren't they doing something? I understand. I get that line of thought. I've been there too, saying the same thing. My best answer is, though, we are. See, most of the issues we deal with are never known publicly. Most cases, you'll never know about it. And that's the way it has to be. If someone approaches the elders in confidence and asks that we help them, we have to respect that confidentiality. If we did otherwise, well, if you want to quickly destroy the credibility and relationship of the elders with the church, and that would be the way to do it. We're sometimes involved in a member's legal matters, estate matters, financial matters, family disputes, but they all represent a sheep that is hurting and a sheep that has wounds that need to be dressed. And that's what we'll continue to do. So what does the Bible say? Well, let me give you three scriptures. No, not Paul's writings to Timothy or Titus. We'll have plenty of time to discuss those in the coming 
weeks and months. Ezekiel 34. Brian Robbins introduced this scripture to you a couple of weeks ago. And if I could sum this uh, section of scripture up in one word, it would be sobering. The context of Ezekiel 34 is that the the term shepherd is used in this chapter to refer to the leaders of Judah. It may be both political and religious leaders. It was a common metaphor used for leaders throughout the ancient Near East. But the application is still there today. Sheep that are weak or injured or ill need the care of a good shepherd. They need the special care of a good shepherd. But Israel's kings had taken advantage of them. And Ezekiel denounced the leaders of the people for their inaction, for their greed, for their uh, taking advantage of their position, for their taking advantage of their power to satisfy their own needs and their own greed and not for the good of the people. Instead of feeding the sheep, they fed on the sheep. Ezekiel emphasized the theme of responsibility, telling the leaders that God would hold them accountable. And God would hold them accountable for what happened to the flock. Ezekiel 34, first six verses, if you want to read with me. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds. Clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally so that they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. And no one searched or looked for them. What does an elder look like? What's well, the exact opposite of what, it, what Ezekiel wrote in those first six verses. Zechariah 8. I know you're probably thinking that's an odd reference. And even the reference to shepherds is in uh, chapter 11. That's true. But the context of Zechariah 8 was that Zechariah's ministry was a ministry of comfort. He moves almost suddenly from his pronouncements to a series of sayings. Almost like they were many sermons. They may have been texts of various sermons. But they were meant to reassure God's people of of his love for them, his never-ending love for them. They expected and they uh, knew that the arrival of the Lord would herald a new age, a new age for Jerusalem. And the sounds of happy and prosperous families would be heard again. This would fill the streets. 
this chapter describes a healthy relationship between God and his people, between God and the leaders, between the leaders and all of God's people. The moral teachings, especially in verses 16 and 17, are so relevant even in today's world. God punctuates his feelings about injustice and cruelty with, I hate all of this. Zechariah 8, 14 through 17. This is what the Lord God Almighty says. Just as I have determined to bring disaster on you and showed no pity when your ancestors angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things that you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other. And do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. What does an elder look like? Well, it's someone who serves God's people and helps them keep his commandments just as he does because they wish to please him and because they reflect his character. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 10. This is really self-explanatory. Actually, reading verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. What does an elder look like? But someone who's there to help someone up who's fallen. I told you before that being an elder was a blessing, and that's the absolute truth. Let me tell you how it's blessed me. Now, I'll confess something here. Before I became an elder, I had a terror, a fear, an absolute phobia of visiting a hospital or a nursing home. Just couldn't do it. When I became an elder, I told myself, I have to get over this. And with the help of God, I did. You know, I've been there at the end with both the one who is passing or has passed and with their families. I've been holding hands and praying with families that they said their goodbyes. And that's something I never, ever could have done before I became an elder. But one thing I wish, one thing I could never get used to and I wish could go away is that there are so many times when I visit someone who knows they're facing the end of their life, and they want to inevitably discuss their salvation. You know what kind of person they were. You know what kind of life they lived. You know where they're going to spend eternity, but they inevitably have to ask that question, do you think I've done enough? Most of the time, it's from a wonderful Christian brother or sister, and there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And I wish I somehow could make those questions go away. But when you reach out and you grasp the hand of, of a brother or a sister and you feel the, the coldness of approaching death. They look you in the eye and say, is everything going to be okay? Have I done enough? And you tell them, listen to me. No one, no one could ever do enough. But you don't have to. Jesus Christ did that for you. 
and I think everything's going to be just fine. When you hear that audible, relieved sigh, and you hear you've relieved me of a great burden, that's what it means to be an elder. You know, over the years, we've met with some of you and prayed with you, prayed for you, prayed with you, prayed over your prayer requests in room 100. There'll be elders there this morning. There'll be elders down front ready to assist you. But you know what? That journey from life to death begins with a rebirth. Rebirth in Jesus Christ. So that when you're facing the end, you know that it's going to be all right. If you need to take that journey, begin that journey this morning by being baptized into Christ. We can assist you as well. If we can help you, please come while we stand and sing.